0: Hey, this is Adam and Ben popping in real quick to tell you thanks. Thank you for all of your support during the Max MaxFun Drive, uh, support you've directed to The Greatest Discovery. It's uh, Thanks to that support, we're able to tell you that we will be able to make this show for another year.
1: Yeah, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, the outpouring of support for this show is really breathtaking. Um, given that it's the smallest show we do audience size-wise of, uh, of our three, uh, you guys really came through in a huge way And uh, and it is for that reason That we can sustain this thing So, thank you
0: Captain! Captain! Report. Signature's detected Shields up. Whoop. Signature's detected Context South Command What's okay. happening? C- context South Command Delay that order Context South Command This is the Captain C- Context self Command Get out of my chair
1: Chair, 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 chair
0: We have engaged the Klingons Klingons, Klingons welcome to the greatest discovery it's a Star Trek discovery podcast from the makers of the greatest generation I'm Adam Pranica I'm
1: Ben Harrison breaking NDAs
0: <laughs> I like uh, I like how we're going metronomic with the with the show open here Ben and there's a reason for that <laughs>
1: yeah no we're not actually gonna break an NDA but uh, we wanted to talk about uh, that we mentioned
0: that is it two episodes ago I think at this point Moment in time, it is, yeah,
1: yeah. We uh, we were going uh, kind of incognito into the pocket to check out something w slash uh, r slash t Star Trek Discovery, and uh, we got some guidelines about how we could talk about it and what about it we could say. So we thought we would, uh, we thought we would peel back the kimono.
0: It's a real Catherine Zeta Jones in the movie Entrapment, kind <laughs> of. Uh, Wiggling around the NDA yeah. stipulations in order to talk about this, we've put on our
1: Terry cloth cat suits, and we're gonna <laughs> do our best not to violate anything we
0: signed. I think uh, what we can say starts out like uh, a good friend of DeSoto reached out to us and mentioned that he has a very interesting job on the Warner Brothers lot.
1: Yeah, he so Adam, you were gonna be in Southern California already for another thing. Right, and uh, this FOD Richard reached out and was like, "Hey, I uh, I work the recording sessions for the orchestral score
0: on Star Trek Discovery, and I can get you into one of them." I love like let me just say something about Richard throughout he downplayed so hard how cool he thought this would be to us (laughs) I know. he's like yeah I mean if you don't have anything going on or whatever like uh, this is something that I can make available for you but really like if you are busy do not worry about taking me up on this (laughs) and and back channel wise me and me and Ben are like holy shit (laughs) (laughs) we gotta go do this how do we do this (laughs)
1: Yeah, I, I'm always scared to go do things by myself. So I was really glad that you were going to be like. I don't think I would have passed this up, but I was. Scared, oh, I hope not. I was scared to do it alone, and I was really glad you were going to be in Southern California to do it with me.
0: Oh, that's nice to hear.
1: It felt it felt good to have a uh, a uh, you know socializing buddy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, so we we went out to. They do this on the Warner Brothers lot. Uh, surprisingly enough.
0: Um, Which is the Pee Wee's Big Adventure lot. It looked so familiar. Yeah. I had never been on this lot before, so it was uh, it was kind of magical.
1: Yeah, it was really cool. We, like, parked and, like, we got, uh, I mean, over the course of a day that we spent there, we spent some time just, like, walking around the lot, and there's, like, the, you know, the New York subway station portion of the lot and like they're you know they can kind of make it look like dc or new york or small town usa like depending on which direction you point the camera it's really cool and every studio building you know like the, the the big sound stages that you see in all the all those shots in Wee's big adventure like they have signs up on the walls of like which movies and television shows were shot there and that's also just like a really fun, like, yeah. just feeling like the history of that. Like, oh man, like they shot movies in like the in like the '60s in some of these buildings.
0: Yeah, it, you could really feel the magic of the place. Even though, like, outside of the scoring session, it didn't feel like a beehive of activity. Like, even even with the soundstage doors open, when you walk past one, it it didn't seem to be a very in production day,
1: yeah, uh, it seemed like maybe Conan was in production because Conan yeah. O'Brien's uh, set is there, Ellen's set is there, uh, and we saw like people lining up for to be like studio audiences a couple of times. Um, we also uh, saw Sonique Martin Green like hanging out on a park bench taking a phone call, which was thrilling.
0: She was. We heard later there to do ADR work. Uh, But, like, we rounded a corner, and you and I are just chatting, and we see her on a park bench, and honestly, my heart just stopped when I (laughs) saw her, because, like, I never expected that she, of all people, would be someone that we ran into on that lot. Yeah, because, you you know, you're conscious
1: of the fact that they shoot the show in Toronto. Yeah. And, like, why would she be? Like, she, like, couldn't, like they could they could record ADR anywhere. Like she could be going in and looping that stuff in Toronto or anywhere yeah. in LA. Like there's no reason for it to specifically be that lot, but it just is.
0: And the idea that the one star sighting that we saw while we were there was her was really special.
1: Yeah, she's uh, uh I, I w- it it really caught my heart too. It was like it it was stunning to see her in person. I Jesus. wish he hadn't been on the phone. I would have gone up and said what a big fan I was.
0: See, that that's different. We are very different in that way. And, like, you are the same guy who said he wouldn't want to go to this opportunity alone. I'm the guy that I'm so reluctant to just walk up to people the way you are. So I'm I'm glad that if that were to happen, you would have spearheaded that effort because I'm... I'm not that way. You know if Rob's would have been there,
1: he would have gone up to her and said, Hey, can you put down the phone for a second and read into this recording device? Hi, I'm Sonegwin Martin Green, and you're listening to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org.
0: I think that's why I love Rob's, is that he's willing to do that. He has a strength that I do not Yeah, he really for, does. for that kind of thing. She is so beautiful in person. Yeah. I, I was really gobsmacked by her you could like feel her before we even walked around the corner <laughs> yeah yeah and like yeah it's it's really hard to put into words what that was like it was great it was great yeah but uh, i want to i want to believe that she smiled at me while she was on the phone pen yeah
1: but she was probably just smiling at something somebody said on the phone probably <laughs> she would never smile at you adam <laughs> Why do you got to be like that, man? (laughs) Let me have this. Okay, she smiled at you. But let's talk about this recording session. This was so cool. Yeah. So they were recording music for an episode of the show, and I don't think we can be specific about which episode it was. Right. We didn't read the NDA. (laughs) And we asked. Because because we
0: signed two of them, and both of them were six pages long.
1: Yeah. Yeah. and uh, so we asked what we can say and what we, and and can't say, and, and we're going to do our best to uh, to do right by them. But I think what's cool is that we got to see like the condition the show is in when they record the music for it. So it's like yeah. edited, but it's not done.
0: You know, right? A lot of these special effects are placeholder effects. So what you would see on screen are the people from the show but they're playing against often unfinished comps so you'll see some some green screen or or some effects that are unfinished when it comes to like exterior shots
1: it really brought out for me how much work goes into this show like yeah. w- what an achievement it is in terms of its visual style like it is so stylish and cohesive in a very specific way yeah and what they've achieved with that is really cool and uh and yeah like they had a whole like a probably like a 40 piece orchestra right playing yeah. playing music along to it
0: they i've played in uh in concert bands in high school and like there is nothing comparable between that and what we saw in that studio. Like the way these sessions work is like the orchestra plays to the visual on the screen and then they're, and then they're tweaking it for taste. Like give me a little more of this, give me a little more of that uh, until they get the feeling right. And then they move on. And, and what was so amazing was that a note could come in to change the way that something was played. Yeah. And
1: It was <laughs> like, this is the first time this orchestra has ever seen this music. And yeah. They're just playing it from by, you know, sight reading it and playing it amazingly. And also like the level of perfectionism, like what, what the composer and, and the team are looking for in terms yeah. of the performance, like is incredibly specific. And they're yeah. willing to go back three times to get it in yeah. a way where like when, the, like they, they would do take one and I'd be like, that was great. And then they would, like, give (laughs) notes, and they would change it. I'd be like, oh, my God, that was even better. Holy shit. Yeah, it
0: always got better with every (laughs) take. It was amazing. It was so cool. The the, like, I really like the relationship between Jeff Russo and the orchestra, too. Like, it felt... Hey, let's do it this way this time. And then they would take the note, and then they would move on. Like it, it felt like it felt like the vibe was good and positive. And I've played in bands before where it is not like that.
1: Yeah, it was really cool. Like it was very collaborative. Like really good spirits. It seemed like they really liked working together and liked working on this. And and uh, when you
0: play in a band for eight hour shifts, like that's not something that I was expecting to see. Like I think we got in there at hour three of what was going to be an eight hour day. And like, people were, uh, f- were buoyant. It, yeah. was, it felt like a good vibe. It was really cool. And we were like welcomed there. I was expecting a little more like, who the hell are these guys type of vibe. <laughs> but I never felt that once. It, yeah. it felt like very welcoming to strangers. It was such
1: a cool thing to see. And just like, what a cool thing to have be your job. You know, like, oh yeah. like, yeah. We get, we're, we're, like th- Here's some guys that are visiting us at work today. And what work is, is we sit in a room and we play a beautiful score for the first time and the last time, and we do it at a super high level.
0: Classic Richard at the end is like, boy, I, I can't believe you guys uh, stuck around for that long. Like, hope we didn't bore you too much. <laughs> <I know. laughs> no, Rich. We, uh, it was great. It I was, promise. <laughs> it was fucking amazing. He also gave yeah. us two six-packs of beer from, uh, from his hometown. Wow. Just... Just awesome. Yeah. During a dinner break, we got to meet Jeff Russo briefly, and uh, tell him how much his work meant to us. And uh, hopefully, he didn't think it was too weird of a thing to meet a couple of nerdy podcasters. But uh, <laughs> because he's he's a cool ass guy, he's he was a founding member of the band Tonic. Like he's a fucking rock star. Yeah. So uh, couldn't be more gracious uh, to both of us.
1: It was really really cool to see and. Uh, we- Thank you to Richard for, uh, for setting it up. I hope we didn't say something that gets you in trouble.
0: <laughs> hope so, too. I hope he was being honest when he said we could come back any time, because uh, it's really something I would like to do again. That was special.
1: Yeah, that was great. Well, Adam, what do you say we get into Season 2,
0: Episode 11, Perpetual Infinity? Let's do it, Ben. You ever get a watch with Perpetual Infinity? <laughs> ben, they sell those at jewelry stores That I can't afford to even walk inside
1: Yeah, yeah They uh, they see you uh, coming down the street And they say, not this one, bub
0: Yeah <laughs> you. No, you may not use our bathroom
1: <laughs> We know about you So this episode uh, starts in, in flashback
0: Yeah Then we should celebrate Yes, we should
1: We've had very brief stuff with young burnham uh, over the course of this season but i really like her i think she they did a great job of getting her to a place where her performance feels plausibly similar to soniqua martin greens like character wise
0: yeah i agree it helps that she's a good actor to be honest like that's what right. it boils down to to me if if she sucked i think she would crater these scenes but she's not she's filled with that like precociousness of youthful intelligence that can sometimes cut towards annoying but just isn't <laughs> you get this family unit scene here of of the doctor and mr. Burnham and uh, and their daughter and Michael and I mean it's I nice think they're both doctors okay well I was trying to to distinguish them because as we go on talking about them it could get a little confusing did you yeah. know that uh, that the mister, that the husband, was played by Kenrick Green, who is Sonequa Martin-Green's husband in real life? No shit. Yeah.
1: Did they bring him in for the purposes of it would be fun to have... Somebody in her family be playing someone in her family, or is he like also a working actor?
0: I have the chills from that, that cold ass shade. He just threw, <laughs> god no, damn it. No, man, he's got uh, he's got plenty of, of credits. He's got okay. Right... I've never seen him before to my knowledge. No, I haven't either. Like, here's the thing his credits are like he's got credits, but he's got a bunch of short films and and like TV appearances, but he's not a regular. Uh, on anything but The Walking Dead.
1: That's where she was from, too, right? She was on that
0: show. Yeah. Uh, Did they meet on that show? I mean, I have to believe that because he was on the series from 2015 to 2019, and in 22 episodes, you sort of, you know, like when you shoot a TV series, you, I think, uh, I think you choose a, a series husband and a series wife. Like this is something <laughs> in my in my time visiting professional TV and movie sets. Like you see this happen. People pair off. And often, it just lasts for the life of the show, but sometimes it it works out in the forever kind of way. And that's what happened with uh, Kenrick and sinequa Martin-Green. Wow.
1: They made it work. That's what gave us uh, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so it doesn't work all the time.
1: Well, worked worked long enough for them to be a family for a little while. Yeah. I'm not saying that sinequa
0: Martin-Green is going to divorce this guy. <laughs> Why are you saying that Kendrick Green uh, is not a real actor? That's what I'm wondering. Like, kind of a weird thing to uh, put in the ground here. Um, they all live in the
1: Athleisure Dome, which uh, apparently is a planet that uh, they they are the only people on because, they, you know, it's kind of uh, Michael Burnham's mom finishing up science while uh, Michael and her dad set the table. and um, And then... The Klingons show up and uh, Michael Burnham gets shoved in the closet uh, where, you know, we've seen we've seen many flashbacks from the perspective of inside that closet. Uh, But this uh, flashback then follows the mom as she uh, gets in the Red Angel suit. She uses one of those like um, Velcro hand paddles that you see people playing with uh, a tennis ball on the beach (laughs) and uh, gets the time crystal. Puts it in the back of the suit, uh, hops in, and uh, jumps in time before the Klingon blasts can hit her.
0: Her interest at this point is going back in time to save them.
1: She's imagining that she is going to show up one hour previous to yeah. warn everybody of what's going to happen. Right. Um, I liked that the house had red alert. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like my house needs that.
0: I like that. That's
1: you know, your house definitely needs that.
0: You see a lot of like modern like like the simply safeification of homes right now <laughs> that offer like the siren if should a window be opened without your uh your permission but they're not giving you the lights give me the lights i think yeah to yeah. Uh, to complete the set
1: i want strips of of red leds impregnated in almost everything that will go off in unison when uh <laughs> when something befalls my house
0: This is a set dressing that you only see in a perfect future, Ben, because there's a variety of juices on the table for this scene that is a hotel brunchian amount, you know? Like, there's a number of juices that you never get in real life. Right. We can't invest
1: in this much juice because it's just all sugar, you know? (laughs) And uh, and we're not going to honestly finish all this juice before it goes bad.
0: I feel like if I were invited over to your home for breakfast and there were more than one juice on the table... It would be all I could talk about. <laughs> like it's such a weird
1: it's like cran apple and orange? What? <laughs> Way
0: to throw it in my face, Ben. <laughs> You're so fancy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the house that has more than two types of glasses, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I've I've got I've got an orange juice glass and
1: a different shaped Cran apple glass and I'm putting them in front of you and I'm saying like, yeah, I really, uh I realized that the shape of the glass really affects the flavor uh, when I was going to my
0: tennis academy. <laughs> For my entire life, I've only known two types of glasses, tall and short. <laughs> and now that I'm a little bit older and married, we've introduced things like wine right. as, a, as a third glass. Uh,
1: yeah. it Last year, for uh, my wife's birthday, I introduced a second type of wine glass.
0: Oh shit!
1: Because we had we had ones that were red wine oriented, and I got her some white wine oriented ones. Yeah, so it begins. Yep. the uh, the complexification of glassware is I mean it's insane, right? Because we have a very small kitchen that does not have like. For whatever reason, when our landlord redid the apartment we live in, they did not elect to put any overhead cabinets in, so we have exclusively under-counter cabinetry.
0: Mm. (laughs) There's nowhere to put these glasses. That'll be better when the big one hits. Shout out to (laughs) one of our uh, favorite podcast compulsions lately, the big one.
1: Yeah, shout out to my... Next door neighbor who was the executive producer of the big one, a great podcast about uh, about earthquake preparedness. And
0: all those glasses, like uh, like tears in rain.
1: Yeah, yeah. I asked her like what I needed to do to get ready for the big one, and she was like, "Oh, we got you. Like when when it hits, like the wall between our units will fall down, and we've got
0: everything." <laughs> nice neighbors you got there. I know. I felt very safe. So Michael Burnham comes to in Six Bay, and it's Dr. Culber back in uniform. Back
1: in white. Can makeouts with Stamets be far behind when Dr. Culber is back in the white uniform?
0: But maybe it shouldn't be so simple. I think the white uniform doesn't do much for his jackedness, you know? Because we know the secret now. We yeah. know what's under that uniform, and it is lumpy. We
1: know that he is tear phone book in half, built.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Why cover that up? Tear the sleeves off like that, uh, like that scientist on regular one, Doc. Yeah, yeah, or uh, or mirror universe Kirk. Yeah. Show him off. <laughs> Shake what your mama gave you. This is a scene that is one of a couple in this episode that is a showcase for Sonequa Martin-Green's ability as an actor. I love this scene. Because in this scene, she gets the news about her mom, and she gets three runs at the line she died, and she takes such different goes at that line all three times that it feels impossible. Like I'm not an actor, obviously, but when I think about how I would perform those lines there's no way i could get to the place that she gets to here it's incredible
1: no she died she died she, she died there's the joke about actors that they're always saying their lines in slightly different tone it, of voice trying <laughs> right. to find the thing and yeah and instead this is her saying three entirely different statements that are made up of the exact same string of words
0: yeah you aren't supposed to be able to win this game three times, and she nope. wins three times.
1: And 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 with three different strategies.
0: I want to say this right now. I and I don't want this to be an insult to the show, but I think Sonico Martin Green's work is better than this show. Like she she is now starting to like rise above the material in a way that like distinguishes her from everyone else. And again, like that's going to sound like shade on the other actors or as the show on the show itself, but I don't mean it that way. I think she's just she's just fucking crushing this right now. Yeah. Like she's really coming into it in season two. She's hella good. Yeah.
1: Um what they tell her, like it it doesn't make a lot of sense initially because the the opinion that Dr. Colbert said very forcefully was that this uh, this Red Angel was Michael Burnham. And uh, we we speculated that there was something about like genetically or whatever similar about them. Uh, last episode, I actually we got an email in the at gmail.com box from friend of DeSoto, Christy Ono, who uh, she emailed us a UCSF brain study that shows that like the brain structure governing emotion is directly passed down from mother to daughter. Wow, it's, I mean, it seems like pretty, like, well-established real science that they're talking about in this scene when they talk about, like, mitochondrial DNA. I know that that's something that, like, they, you know, like, the the Y chromosome is a way that they can, like, study male lineage because, like, you get your Y chromosome from your dad Mm -hmm. and he got it from his dad uh, on into the past and... Uh I think mitochondrial DNA is matrilineally inherited in almost exactly the same way. So uh pretty interesting like use of contemporary n- new science. Like this is a twenty sixteen study. Wow. I love it when Star Trek does shit like this.
0: I love it when we occasionally check our drunkshimoda@gmail.com gmail.com inbox.
1: Yeah. Uh Christy Ono is a is a comedian in San Francisco. And uh, she said she she has a chunk about that study in her set. Wow. (laughs) I hope it kills. So if you're in the Bay Area, uh, keep an eye out for Cristiano performances.
0: So uh, Michael Burnham is super broken up at being prevented from seeing her mother. But uh, to soften the blow, she's given a pad of 841 mission logs. And
1: she's like, "Ooh, that's a lot of mission log. Do you got any like treks in the city or Mammary Alpha or anything else to break it up
0: in that in that iPad?" <laughs> Is 841 episodes actually? I wonder if that's how many episodes Mission Log has. Oh, I don't know. God, what if this show were were sending it's that just message? Trolling us. Yeah.
1: <laughs> These guys aren't too edgy.
0: I've got 289. That can't yeah. be true, right?
1: No, I mean, because they, they started with TOS, and now they're on yeah. Deep Space Nine. So they that seems fair.
0: Mm. So we cut to Leland, uh, who is in some restraints, talking to Control. Control having taken the holographic form of a couple of different people in order to communicate to him. And taken on the kinks of Section 31. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Control is making the case for the inevitability of its agenda, but in doing that is kind of admitting the limitation of its methods because control needs a body and uh, Leland has one.
1: This is a fun scene because it kind of makes Leland like the best guy before turning him into the villain of the series. I like the idea that he went down, like you know, declaring his allegiance to the good team, even though he's been kind of a, a gray area character up until now. Yeah. Uh, but control has a has a clip show drone that it uh, it hooks up to the back of Leland's head and uh, starts injecting him with little itty bitty nano robots.
0: Feels a little Borgsy, yeah. It does, yeah. Even the struggle is pointless comment feels a little, like, proto-Borg. Like, hmm. it's, it feels a little Resistance is Futile adjacent. Like, a first draft of Resistance is Futile. I wonder if that's where they're headed with this. Like, I really hope not, man. Yeah. Don't, don't let it be that. You know what I heard?
1: This uh, this show is, is a, a show that likes to borrow from other Star Trek series to, mm-hmm. you know, to draw threads between itself and older Trek. I mean, I think that could be something that they're going to go for here. Like this is uh, control is like it's like shot into the other side of the galaxy and then turns into Borgs or something like that. But uh, I was talking to a friend who uh, had it on good authority that they are casting for young Picard right now in Los Angeles he, he has a, shit a friend who's a, a uh, an actor and and was uh, asked to audition for young Picard
0: whoa actually auditioned for it
1: yeah so we were talking about like whether that could be for disco or, or the Picard series but
0: um, but
1: unclear at this point
0: we get a scream into commercial Ben that makes me ask you this question. How many times in TNG or DS9 did we get a character screaming as loud as they could? Because that is a thing about Star Trek Discovery, whether it's Agony it's Booth. It's usually when Klingons die
1: is pretty much it.
0: Yeah, it's Agony Booth or it's Michael Burnham being suffocated or whatever. I bet, like, over under how many times has someone screamed for their life on Star Trek Discovery? <laughs> I want to say 10. Yeah, a lot. A lot. You know uh, you know, one of my favorite things to do w slash r slash t making jokes on this show ben is the creation of a portmanteau mm. uh what we've seen what we've witnessed before the theme is the creation of countryland <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna give you that gift <laughs> uh thank you <laughs> <laughs> where do i return this awful portmanteau
1: <laughs> uh so burnham uh her job for the next little while is just watch the video logs of her mom as she uh, as she reports back from the future because she did not go an hour into the past. She went nine hundred and fifty years into the future and is kind of stuck there. Like she can make little, she can bounce into other times, but the visits are brief because she's always brought back to uh, this uh, future time period.
0: You ever try to reset the clock on your stove when the power goes out and it only goes one way, so you got to, like, hold it so that the time goes faster to come around to the other side? I feel like that's...
1: And if you overshoot, you're just stuck doing it all the way through again.
0: I can see how difficult it would be to go, like, to intend to go a year in the past and instead go (laughs) 950 years into the future if what she's using is, like, stove clock technology. I mean, everything else she has is so advanced, though. Yeah, yeah. I ha- My
1: current stove has an analog clock, and to change the time, you just turn the knob, and it's oh, like incredibly that. quick. It's, yeah. it's like, ah, oh, this is so much better. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking digitalization of this, of this thing was a step backwards.
0: Yeah, it doesn't need to be that hard.
1: Um, I wondered what she's eating 950 years in the future, because they say, like, all organic life has been eliminated.
0: It looks like she set up a little Dagobah camp. You know, like an encampment. Right. And then the... she says,
1: like, she moved to Terralisium where she saved all these people and, like, control can't find her because there's no technology. Yeah. So is
0: Teralesium fine in this future? How badly did Pike fuck that up by giving them technology then, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Whoops-a-doodle. <laughs> Our friends back there think they have uh, the ability to turn on the lights in their church. What they've done is set off a beacon to be (laughs) annihilated by control.
1: Yeah. So sad, too bad, as Jackie Cation says.
0: (laughs) Yeah. We get a ton of elliptical information from these logs throughout uh, the episode.
1: Basically, what is set up is that Michael Burnham's mom, Dr. Gabrielle Burnham, has been sort of a one-woman anti-control machine. Mm. And she has been going through the timeline trying everything she can to stop control from getting access to the sphere data the you know the archive of information that they got off that sphere early in the season is the thing that control wants and needs uh, to uh, evolve itself into the sinister future robot intelligence that it wants to be
0: right and because a running clock increases tension What's happening at this exact moment is like the pull on the suit that occurs after every time jump is increasing. So the longer that Dr. Burnham and the suit remain in this like fixed in this time, the stronger the universe's pull is to fling it back nine hundred and fifty years into the future. Right. So, uh,
1: yeah, there's uh, there's some fun stuff with how they have to kind of max everything out with the containment field they have set up on the planet to, to keep her there. We have a pretty fun scene with her and Pike where she's basically super pissed about having had this trap sprung on her. And this is a great like exposition scene because Pike is like, "Okay, well, we all we want to do is like stop control and do the thing. Like, we're we are on the same team. Like, just tell us what to do. Like, let's be let's be teammates here." And the idea that she suggests is wipe the archive like zero out the disk that that is on and that's that's the prize that control is seeking if that's not there anymore then control doesn't have you know won't be able to access it
0: and what they're talking about is the hard format not just not just the quick one that yeah, doesn't the one really... where
1: it like rewrites zeros over the entire disk
0: the one that takes hours and hours i have faith in discovery's crew on the section 31 ship contreland is proposing a new strategy. <laughs> he wants to intercept this fear data, and he's trying to get Ash and Giorgio to go along. But what's funny about this scene is that Ash and Giorgio are looking at each other like, "Why is Leland getting so much dialogue this episode? Like, this is <laughs> this is more than he's ever said ever." And like, that's the thing that betrays what's going on. I feel like ordinarily Leland would be a little bit squishy in his orders, or he won't. Order Ash and Giorgio as as hardly as he's doing right here, and so it's less that his confidence is out of character, and more that his amount of dialogue is not very subtle.
1: Yeah, it's not very subtle, and even Giorgio makes comments on it, like <laughs> like what crawled up your ass? Like yeah. that you're telling us a specific thing to do. Yeah, they have a McLaughlin group issue one on the disco. That Ash Tyler is there for, because he's been given the order to, like, go steal the thumb drive that the Sphere Archive is on mm-hmm. and get it into, con- into the control. <laughs> it's so fucking annoying that they call this thing control. because
0: <laughs> It's impossible to talk about.
1: It's like when you're learning to drive and you ask a question and your dad says, right, and you turn right, and he's oh. like, I mean, <laughs> correct.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Perfect.
1: Yeah, you know, Section 31 wants the archive in their custody. And uh, <laughs> Ash, Tyler, Ash Tyler's been uh, sent to, to do that. But uh, this McLaughlin group is them deciding that that Gabrielle is probably right. And even though it is kind of a tragic loss to science and uh, discovery, uh, they should probably just wipe the disc. Saru compares this to burning the library at Alexandria. And yet, when given given the order by Pike, he's like,
0: alright, I'm <laughs> gonna do it. Is that a real fish tank back there, or is that a screensaver? <laughs> <laughs> do we know? Looks like, the, looks like there's toasters flying out that window. <laughs> <laughs> so you're on the side of screensaver then? The You're talking about the ball on the, on the screen? I'm talking about in the background of this McLaughlin group, one of the screens looks like a, a water scene with a fish in it. Really? And it's either it's either a projection on a screen or it's an actual fish tank there. Shit, I I missed that. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's not unprecedented for uh, there to be a fish tank in a in a captain's ready room, and that's kind of where this is taking place, right?
0: Right. Right. Dr. Burnham is waking up, and she wants to see Pike and not Michael, and this is very upsetting to Michael, but this is, uh, this is the part of the episode where Pike has to tell Michael that she gets to watch the feed, and nothing good happens on the feed, as we've learned. The other person
1: watching the feed of all the, uh, all the GoPro mission logs uh, that Dr. Burnham has made is Spock. And he finds a video of her explaining why Spock was of such a utility to to her. He has uh, a a Vulcan, you know, combination Vulcan human psyche that makes him kind of like emotionally uh, vulnerable enough, but also logically sound enough to communicate with her through the suit. But also, her his he has dyslexia, and that. Uh, gives him the ability to kind of cope with the confusing aspect of the time, you know, disturbances around her.
0: It's some real faint praise because in the log, Dr. Burnham's like, yeah, all of these problems that Spock has are really the reason that I that I seeked him out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Which was great for me. <laughs> His fucked up mind is the only thing that can understand what's happening here. <laughs>
1: this scene uh i had some resonance with this scene cuz yeah? one one of the things i uh had have been working on in therapy is is the idea of not uh not hating myself for my shortcomings hmm. you know and uh michael burnham says like you know like that your dyslexia wound up being a strength in this case and um i don't personally have dyslexia but i have a lot of shortcomings and i have a hard time not hating myself because of them and I think that's a good message, and I liked that it was in this episode. Yeah, man, it's a good thing to unburden yourself of like self-judgment for shit that isn't really under your control. You know,
0: if you ever figure that out, let me know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Takes practice.
0: One thing that uh, the lady who sticks needles into me told me related to that concept was uh, when I was telling her about. I don't want to
1: hear about your dominatrix, Adam.
0: I was expressing a feeling a lot like that to her and she said it would help if you made that thing something else and not you. Like if you could turn your doubt and your self-hate into a thing that is not you and is is instead like something separate from you, Hmm. it would help you fight it because you do not want to fight yourself as hard as you would ever fight something that was not yourself. You know what I mean? It's kind of like in like season five, I think, of
1: The Real Housewives of Atlanta. It seems like Nene Leakes has been in therapy for a little while at this point, and she starts referring to like the version of her that comes out when she loses her temper as Nene. It's like that. <laughs> That's why
0: I named this version of me Nene. <laughs> <laughs> All roads lead back to Real Housewives, don't they? All roads.
1: I have arrived, honey. I have arrived. But in this scene with with Spock, Michael Burnham comes in and uh, and she makes the case for like I I I really need to talk to this lady, my mom. He really agrees. My mom. <laughs> yeah, that famous Borat line. <laughs> my mom.
0: <laughs> As great as Anika Martin Green is in this episode, that was a questionable choice. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the
1: the bridge repair between Burnham and Spock continues apace, and uh, and uh, you know they they continue to apologize for to each other for all of the uh, all of the shit that they've put each other through, and like what he says is like there are a lot of things that you need to figure out with your mom that don't even have anything to do with this whole saving the universe from control part of the project but also like she has been like so laser focused on this one thing for such a long time Uh, the, the fight against control that she has like a very specific set of tactics and strategy surrounding that maybe in talking to her you can kind of like see the problem from a new angle and uh, and figure it out in a new way. What do you think uh, Gabrielle Burnham has been eating this entire time?
0: I mean, whatever roots and sticks exist on the Degaba planet, I guess. Or, you know, if you have the ability to to traverse time and space, you can uh, you can go anywhere. Yeah, and I eat guess anything, so. I guess. Yeah. She doesn't appear to be hungry inside the field. No, she looks healthy. Yeah. Sonia Sohn is so great in this episode also. She, she is. She's expressive and verbal in a way that we know her to be from The Wire. But one thing I didn't notice before that I definitely noticed in this episode was how much her posture affects her performance. Because she's given such a small area to move around in and act within... Uh-huh. And so few props to act with. Like, she's got the chair to sort of put her hands on to lean over. She's got so little to work off of. Mm-hmm. And it really made me notice, like, how she works working solo like that. Yeah. It made me yeah. appreciate her a lot more.
1: We had a brief little scene where Ash Tyler radios back to Countryland about how uh, he was trying to steal the archive but instead, it didn't work because uh, when Saru goes to to push the reformat button, the archive like uh, encrypts itself and, and and locks
0: itself down. Kintarlin tries to like we are Section Thirty One Ash Tyler in this moment and, to like yeah. keep him moving forward. <laughs> he has limits. Kind of a weird conversation
1: to be having like in the hallway. Yeah, for anyone to hear, because like it Ash to your Tyler's quarters, just, Ash. He's just standing out there in the middle of it, like uh, a character goes by in a wheelchair. It's like,
0: <laughs> you know what he had, he had been confined to quarters for so long. Maybe that's the last place he wants to be.
1: Maybe, but I feel like there are private places to <laughs> to be transmitting sinister information like this.
0: Like an old timey airport has has phone booth vestibules. Like he, yeah. he needs to find one of those.
1: I mean, he was really outraged by the idea of like going and doing. Espionage on, an, on a Federation ship when yeah. he got this job. <laughs> so maybe he's also just like, all right, I'm just going to do a really bad job of
0: espionage. <laughs> That's how I would do it. I would just be passive-aggressive about it.
1: <laughs> That's the American way.
0: Good idea, Countryland. I'm just going to drag my fucking feet. <laughs> well, Adam,
1: uh, Pike agrees to let Michael go down and talk to her mom. And so go down and talk to her mom, she does.
0: This scene in the transporter room between uh, Michael Burnham and Spock includes, I think, my favorite piece of dialogue on the show up to now. A lot of the show's dialogue, when it tries to make science or being smart cool, comes across as a little clangy to mm-hmm. me. Like when, uh, when Tilly says, fuck yeah about science or whatever, like when people are... When people are congratulatory about their intelligence, that sometimes can rub me the wrong way. But Michael Burnham's Hamlet, hell yeah <laughs> was so cool yeah. and so like it was it was a cool person delivering a cool line about something smart that I think that is that's the top of the mountain for me. If you're, if what that's you're trying what to do, that's what they're reaching for. Yeah, that's what you want. Every other line of dialogue to be when it talks about science and math and being smart, you want it to actually be this cool. Time is out of joint. Oh, cursed spite that I was born to set it right. Hell.
1: Hell yeah! I mean, you are also just a well-known fan of the phrase "hell yeah." That's true. <laughs> yeah, I use it all the time. <laughs> um so uh the scene between michael and her mom is great um her mom is initially all biz you know like like how how's it going with wiping the hard drive is all she cares about and when michael burnham like has bad news about that being a lot harder than anybody anticipated and and then is like hey what about the last 20 years and like dad what's
0: what's going on with him what what how have you been? <laughs> What's happening? Between this scene and the scene with Dr. Burnham and Pike, we get a picture of a person for whom time has changed everything. Like, she has seen every Faces of Death tape hundreds of times. Like, Michael Burnham's life doesn't mean any more than Pike's life, which doesn't mean any more than anyone's life, because she's seen it all before thousands and thousands of times. Like, it's it's a level-setting technology that her time travel is done and it's it has turned her into needs of the many person like she embodies that as a person
1: it's also an idea that we've been taught about by this show in the previous season like the other time crystal episode right uh with mud illustrated this perfectly all the different times lorca gets like beamed into space or whatever yeah so a great scene um you know to. Like, incredible actors just working at the height of their abilities. Yeah. Um, You know, cry arguing and building toward connecting with each other despite the characters having very different needs in the scene. It's a fucking tour de force.
0: I don't know how physically you conjure tears that only rest on your lower eyelid before dropping. I know. Like there's there's physical stuff happening here that I just don't know how they do it. And that's what makes a professional actor a professional. Like these these two actors are amazing. It's like watching
1: somebody walk up to the claw machine and just like drop the claw, pick up a stuffed animal and drop it in the in the hopper like like it's not a challenge, you know? Like like tears for me are the normal version of the claw machine, like the 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 claws dropping. Sometimes it moves an animal. Sometimes it picks it up. But when it hits the top of the of the of the
0: box, the stuffed animal drops out. Like I don't have any control over those things. It's either like an ability, like how you're describing, or it's a feat of strength. Like I I just don't know. I don't know how yeah. you do it. It's it's great regardless. So time is running out, right? It is the fire in which we burn, Ben. <laughs>
1: And uh, and yeah, what what Gabrielle is is arguing is like like it's it's fucking relentless. Like what we need to do is destroy the information from the sphere at some point in history, so that future
0: control can't get its hands on it. And um, her message has been fairly consistent throughout. Let me the hell out of here. Destroy the information.
1: Right, and uh, and they have a another McLaughlin group. Issue too, and uh, Spock. Uh, in like some really classically written Spock dialogue describes a another way that they might uh, that they might try, which is uh, instead of trying to destroy the sphere archive, just trying to put it outside the reach of control. So the idea that they come up with is take the thumb drive and put it in the red angel suit and then shoot the red angel suit so far in the future that there's no way control is ever going to get access to it.
0: The story logic makes this a possible outcome, but the longer I thought about the time travel logic of this, like, eventually time reaches more than 950 years into the future. Right. Like, should any part of control live that long, what is to stop it from gaining access to this, going back in time, and, and destroying all sentient life in the galaxy? This is this is the difficulty in writing time travel stories. Like they can always be beaten.
1: Yeah, the other factor that I was worried about that I thought was going to come up was that uh, Gabrielle doesn't know anything about the signals or won't admit that she doesn't that she knows anything about the signals. Right, and that made me think that Control perhaps had its own time travel praxis that it was using. Somewhat imperfectly, or whatever.
0: That moment was shot so differently from everything else that it really made you notice the message there.
1: Yeah, but then I just wonder. I mean, it does seem like the Red Angel showing up coincides with signals sometimes. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe somebody else uses the suit, and and uh, that can happen in the past and in the future. And produce signals that that Sonia Son's character wouldn't know about.
0: I could get with that theory, yeah. Yeah, it seems like there's something there's parallel there's parallel activity happening here. Like
1: it's either Michael or there's another suit somewhere, right?
0: Yeah. I don't believe Doctor Burnham in this scene. I just hmm. don't.
1: Oh. Wow. It does feel a little plot holy. Yeah. <laughs> which is I think, just a side effect of time travel stories. Right. It's, I mean, like, I, and I'm on the record as not being a huge fan of time travel in Star Trek.
0: So in addition to the sending of the suit more than 950 years into the future, there is the issue of keeping Dr. Burnham in the present. And to do that, they're going to modify a transporter with some of that dark matter that they shot out of the uh, shuttle pay a couple episodes ago. They still have fragments of that. To use right. for this purpose.
1: So their idea is they can send the suit into the future and break the thing that is pulling Gabrielle into the uh the less distant future uh by by using some kind of modified transporter pattern enhancers.
0: It's weird that her resistance to this plan is all mission based and not <laughs> And not, I don't want to be stuck in this time. Like, I've seen all time, and this is not my this favorite time period. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> she yeah, has a strong uh, case if she chose to make one like, like that. But I
1: really... I, I kind of liked it because I kind of get the feeling that she's just so fixated on her goal that she... Yeah. Like, I mean, like, it, it's not that she's working at cross-purposes with anybody. It's just that she is like has like decided on what she is going to what her goal is and how she is going to pursue it and anything that is extraneous to that or doesn't quite fit within that seems like a a useless distraction to her.
0: I wonder if that's how you have to be to keep from going insane. Right. Like you must be narrow-minded in order to not let time travel break your your intelligence. Speaking of
1: narrow-minded, there's a very interesting scene between Leland and Giorgio where he is pitching her on taking over where Ash Tyler failed in the Steal the Archive project. Mm-hmm. And uh, I shouldn't have said Leland. I should have said right. because, uh because it's really control making this pitch, but she doesn't know that yet. The pitch that he gives her is entirely based on motivating her Uh, with power like she's he's basically saying to her currently the red angel is the most powerful being in the universe but you could uh you could go one above her on the leaderboard by taking her out
0: yeah like an appeal to her vanity
1: yeah which is like she seems like such a dangerous chaotic character and the idea that she has an achilles heel like that just like like dangle a stake like this in front of her and she will take it ten times out of ten. Yeah. Is uh is pretty interesting, you know? Like power is kind of her kryptonite. So she's given a, a device that she's supposed to take down. We see th- we saw a, another version of this device in Ash Tyler's hands in the uh in that uh erase the archive meeting. But she takes it down because they're they're gonna start uh, pumping the red angel suit with this information. And, uh, she goes down there, like, like suction cups, this, uh, this gizmo onto an equipment crate, and then pushes a button on her, on her wrist that cuts off all of the, uh, all of the simply safe cameras back up to the discovery. So she can have a private conversation with Dr. Burnham.
0: It's fun to see Michelle Yeoh and Sonia Sohn in a scene together. Like, it just seems like a very unlikely pairing on in a show or on a movie at all. Yeah. So it was a real pleasure to watch.
1: They're great with each other. Yeah. Um,
0: They've got that mother versus mother vibe going in this conversation.
1: As an element of spycraft, this bugging device seems like a bad invention. <laughs> at least make it the color
0: of the cargo container, right?
1: Yeah, and not have a bunch of, like, moving, colorful lights on the
0: front of it. It's not good.
1: <laughs> Super
0: smart. Uh, I've given you this black checker from this 80s-era checkerboard <laughs> box. Yeah,
1: so um, they, they kind of connect over the fact that they both really love Michael Burnham.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Sonya's own character is very resigned to dying to complete this mission yeah and uh and giorgio doesn't doesn't really see this as playing out that way. So. When you've
0: seen the death of trillions of people, it can't help but change your feelings about your own death, i bet right
1: right she is a she's an incredibly nihilistic character in some ways
0: in the course of this conversation, Dr. Burnham uses a statement that she's heard verbatim from Countreland earlier and she's starting to put it together Georgiou is about what's actually going on on that Section 31 ship.
1: Right. That Contreland is in fact control yeah. and uh and controlled isn't isn't a perfect human impersonator yet. Right. So the use of the phrase unexpe- unacceptable risk to the larger mission in reference to the Red Angel uh has been used twice in fairly rapid succession. Um <laughs> Uh, Giorgio called out the weirdness of the phrase when Leland said it. So. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little, uh, little ham-fist. I think you could have just done with the flashback to make this point, but...
0: Oh, uh, I would they, lose the flashback too, man. I think that we don't need the flashback.
1: Wow. Get it out Shit. of here.
0: Get it <laughs> out.
1: This conversation is kind of wrapping up as Michael Burnham and Stamets and, uh, and Nan show up with the pattern enhancers. And they're like... Like, oh, this is why all of our uh, cameras stopped working. Fancy meeting you here. <laughs> what um, are
0: all these checkers doing here? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Giorgio like, slinks off but does not immediately beam back up to the Section 31 ship. She actually secretly contacts Ash Tyler and is like, hey, let's hatch an evil side plan. What do you say? Ash is super game. Yeah. but uh, But she also, like... Drop some threats on him if, she, if, he, if he betrays her, which is fun. Yeah. Uh, Gabrielle Burnham has been watching Star Trek Discovery from episode one, Adam. <laughs> we get a series of flashbacks to all different times in Michael Burnham's life from across, uh, across the series. And it yeah. uh, turns out she's been kind of keeping tabs on her daughter the entire time.
0: She uses this as, like, one final emotional cudgel to convince Michael to let her go and to do things the way that she's advocated for from the start. Right. I like, like, it's nice. It's a nice emotional moment for them both, but it's still manipulative, right?
1: I wondered if they were going to try and, like, let her drop her guard here and become mm-hmm. more of a mother figure. And I'm I'm kind of glad that they didn't, you know? Like, it's... She's saying this in service of uh of what her need is which is to continue to fight control by any means necessary and she's like she's kind of anti the idea of being saved from being lost in time like yeah. she's she's like I don't want to shoot the suit into the future and just hope that works
0: right especially because they have one chance and if that doesn't work then they're stuck like the suit is the thing the suit is the only thing that gives them options, and, and absent that, they have none. She's
1: got vomit on her sweater already, and uh, she just doesn't want to <laughs> miss her, her chance to blow.
0: <laughs> Ash is able to turn off the data transfer and then uh, walks in on Contrilan during, <laughs> which is one thing you don't want to do. At any point. He gets uh,
1: he gets beat up pretty bad. I would say that this is an uncharacteristically bad fight scene for Star Trek Discovery.
0: Uh, it's... I don't know if I would describe it like that. It, it's rare to see such a brief ass-kicking. Like, Ash is totally overmatched by Contreland. And Contreland, like, uses a piece of broken glass to stab him in the belly. Yeah, yeah. When you stab Ash in the gut, you better make sure you hit both guts. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Cuz I like his chances of survival given given that. How many times in movie and television have we seen somebody like face time up to
1: to say one crucial word? Yeah. To like I think that they're better than this. I think that Shahzad Latif is better than this performance. I think that
0: the the timing of it is not that great. It also shows Contreland to not be smart because he immediately beams down to the surface and doesn't finish the job of killing Ash Tyler, which you need to do. All of
1: that is a shame because the next, like the set piece of Contreland kicking everybody's ass on the surface is awesome. Yeah. It's like T-1000, like, you know, they're shooting him and the bullet holes are are reforming.
0: Yeah. Uh, It is... He's got a John Woo amount of firepower down there, too. He's wielding two phasers and a rifle. Yeah, uh, and and,
1: uh, and up on the bridge of the disco, they're realizing that uh, the, this thing is going pear-shaped really quickly because the Sphere data is getting downloaded. It's uh, it's going away much quicker now, and uh, and it's going on to the Section 31 ship, which is exactly what they don't want.
0: Contreland has also destroyed the control station and the time crystal inside the suit which leaves them not a lot of options.
1: Right. The only thing they can hope for is that uh, in letting Gabrielle Burnham go back to the time in the future to which she is uh, tethered, that she'll at least survive this and they can, uh, they can try again in some other way at some point in the future. Yeah. So she goes back to Terilisium in the future? Is that what you
0: understood? I was confused by this too, TBH. Is she going to Degaba or she, is she going to uh, Tyrolysium? Because if she's going into space, then she's been killed.
1: Yeah, because the suit goes before her by several seconds. <laughs> yeah. I was very concerned.
0: It's Michael Burnham's reaction that tells us that she survived the transit, right? Yeah. Even though we don't completely understand what's happened to Dr. Burnham or where she's gone. Like I think if she was killed in this moment, Michael Burnham's reaction would have been different. I think she she goes on to live wherever she is. We just we're unclear of that at this moment.
1: The only thing I was totally clear on in this scene was that giving Philippa Giorgio the task of fist fighting a cybernetic
0: robot from the future was the right choice. <laughs> Why can't we give Georgiou a sword? <laughs> she was so good with the sword in season one.
1: Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. I also just love that, like, fists and kicks have as much destructive power against this thing as phasers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I dig it. Leave the ass kicking to Giorgio. Contreland does the hair pull splat down that you'd see in, like, a, a Street Fighter 2 game. Yeah. It's uh, especially savage. Uh, Michelle Yeoh gets a ton of fighting to do on this show.
1: Yeah. They, uh, they use her well. Yeah. Once Gabrielle is out of there safely, they, uh, they all beam up, and uh, the disco does photons by the dozen at the, at the surface to try and take out Contreland. But he gets away.
0: And so does Ash Tyler, because when the Section 31 ship blows out, uh, they're unable to pursue. Uh, What they have detected is the spinning escape pod of one Ash Tyler, which is slowly filling up with his blood. (laughs)
1: Let's hope there's not a xenomorph in in there with him.
0: Yeah. The button on the episode is, is Spock and Michael Burnham.
1: Yeah, and uh, we've talked about you don't want to walk in on a sibling. Yeah. Michael Burnham has to scramble to turn off the video she was watching when Spock walks in. Yeah, uh, but uh, but it seems like the the bridge between them is now complete. Um, they uh, he kind of returns the chess favor. It's like pragmatism. You know, he has shown her a tremendous amount of of love over the course of this episode that. Uh, feels really good to see. Yes, yeah. the it was so painful to watch them interact early on in the season.
0: Yeah, good ending. But was it a good episode, Ben?
1: I liked it. I liked the scienceiness of it. I liked it in spite of some of the, in spite of the Swiss cheesiness of some of the time travel plot stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. What about you? I really liked the episode in spite of a few. A few things that didn't work for me. Like, I don't like the the ongoing sidelining of, of Sylvia Tilly. Mm-hmm. Like, they're really punching bagging her in a way that I'm starting to, like, grow tired of. Like, yeah. I think she's more than what she's given for the last three episodes. I think, in a larger sense, I'm wondering if it's a good idea to redeem Section 31. Because by turning Ash and Georgiou into heroes of this story you're you're transitioning section 31 from like the morally bankrupt thing that should be destroyed which is our position in the first episode of season 2 was like section 31's no good we need to eliminate it right like like admiral bob said as much but like the creation of Contreland gives section 31 cover in a weird way and it concentrates the enemy into a person instead of as a as a concept that section 31 is right and so by not questioning the necessity of section 31 or its existence or what it says about starfleet like mm-hmm. you're removing the more nuanced tension like the questions that we should be asking as viewers and replacing it with this like narrower easier tension that that like it honestly doesn't make us work that hard to think about and i think that lowest common denominator uh, enemy making, I think, is unfortunate because this show is so smart when it wants to be, and that's yeah. an oversimplification of Section Thirty-One that I, that I wish they weren't interested in doing. You know,
1: I think it's a fair criticism, and I imagine that it's tricky to deal with that tension when your hands are tied by like the the continuity issue. Like, yeah, yeah. Th- Section Thirty-One has to exist in in future versions of this universe. So um, unless they like came up with a really compelling argument for it to continue to be a thing, like, like what, what is the, what is the good that section 31 does as a, and like, and like settling somewhere on that. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I think your point is well taken. Do you Um, want to see if we have any priority one messages?
0: That was going to be my next point.
1: <laughs> priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel.
0: Ben, our first priority one message is from the friends of DeSoto, the Pod, and Ben and Adam and Robs.
1: Wow, from us?
0: Yeah, and, it's, and Robs, and it's for Ben and Adam.
1: Oh, very. Uh, it's like a, it's almost as circular as the logic of a time travel episode.
0: <laughs> message goes like this: B for the Ben and Adam. We love to view. I for how incredible we feel about you. <laughs> N for nerds who love to listen to your pod. T for the treasure times you mention. Big Rod. <laughs> U is Uxbridge, the who's not killer extraordinaire. R for Rob's the greatest co-pod editor producer out there. <laughs> o is overwhelming. Love for each episode. N is nothing better than a new download. Gah, I ran out of... Almost there Bosom (laughs) You almost did it Uh,
1: Adam our next priority one message Is from your fans In slight embarrassment Mm. And it's for Ben and Adam Another one Nice Goes like this You have made our lives better and richer With your podcasts through your dick and fart jokes, we made new friends, laughed with our spouses, or just enjoyed confounding people in general. <laughs> we look forward to many more years of discovering Trek with you guys. Thanks for all the hard work.
0: Wow. Just a nice letter from some nice viewers. Sometimes, like, that's that's the best thing to hear, is just, like, people appreciate how hard this work is. <laughs> and uh, I think to a degree... Uh, the help we get from someone like rob and the help i get personally from someone like you can make this show seem easy to make sometimes but it's not so thanks to the fans and slight embarrassment for uh, for recognizing that that's uh, yeah. that's
1: appreciated and the warm honeyed bosom yeah definitely and all binturongs everywhere
0: definitely got to thank that booze <laughs>
1: Well, if you'd like to send a priority one message, you know what to do. Head yeah, to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's a hundred bucks for a personal message or two hundred for a commercial message, and we really appreciate it.
0: What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the Spring Cleaning Champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads. A standard one for taking a little bit off the top. and A new foil blade to go smooth, wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear. But it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner... In exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off.
1: Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org.
0: Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible
1: drunk Shimoda! I did. Um, I'm going to give it to Spock because uh, when they come up with the plan to save Burnham's mom and fix the <laughs> fix the problem, you know, three episodes from the end of the season. <laughs> uh, Spock they they just cut to Spock when he's where he says, I like science. <laughs> and I was like, boy, like when Schwarzenegger says something in a movie that is just for the trailer. Right. I feel like they are they are now building stuff into this show that is just for the React gifs.
0: Yep. Knock, knock. Yeah, man, I'm with you on that. That's cynical, but it's right.
1: Yeah. So uh, he's my drunk Shimoda for that reason. How about you?
0: Do you think the first draft of that scene was uh, science? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's just a it's just a running joke between Spock and Michael. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The hell yeahification of the things that they like. Yeah. Ben, I'm going to give my Shimoda to Spock also. Because there's a way that people demonstrate their intelligence uh, that goes not like, you know, the doing of of something with excellence or the teaching of someone else a thing that you know and they they don't. Sometimes it's just a pronunciation that makes you look like a real shithead. (laughs) (laughs) And the way he pronounces that author's name... Fourth century Earth philosopher Lao Tzu. The 10 ways that I would pronounce T-Z-E are not the ways that Spock pronounces that in this episode. And it is so perfectly done Louder. and so irritating Louder. and such a flaunting Louder. of his intelligence that hey. uh, that he's definitely my Shimoda. I fucking love that scene. They cut away from him saying it, too, which doing it for the react. Ankylosaur.
1: Like, I'm sure he's right. I've never heard it pronounced that way. Me neither. The specificity of it leads me to believe that it's definitely correct.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those moments that isn't intended to be funny, but I found very funny.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: What do we have coming up on the next episode? Well,
1: uh, we saw a little bit, uh, a little glimpse of the next episode and a bit of a vasectomy. Uh, We are headed to Borath. Borath. That's where Section Thirty-One is headed, and Disco is on their tail. Um, looks like Ash Tyler is going to have to reveal uh, this baby to <laughs> everybody, and uh, Michael Michael Burnham is uh, is quoting Sarah Connor from the Terminator franchise. Mm. Future is not written, Adam.
0: Indeed, only three episodes left in the season. Is that true?
1: That is true. Wow but a lot
0: of new Trek on the horizon. So uh, I'm excited. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm excited too, Ben. Let's uh, let's bring this episode and this season to a close. Let's, well, let's bring the season to a close when it's time. <laughs> oh, that, that would be premature to do right now, huh? I just exist out of time, Ben. I've yeah, already you... experienced the season finale. <laughs> so have you. <laughs> um,
1: one thing that I've been kind of, starting to suspect I should probably do just to brush up is rewatch the short treks episodes because I wondered a lot about the 950 years in the future timeline relative to the Michael Shabon
0: episode. Oh, was that the amount of time?
1: Yeah. And I just, I'm just wondering, like, it seems like those were more connected to this season than They led on initially So I kind of want to watch all four of them And just kind of have them Have them top of mind anew
0: That can't be a coincidence Yeah, I think that would be smart Smart way to spend an hour, I think
1: Yeah, and a fun way to spend an hour Because those are With, uh, I think, one exception, pretty good
0: Oh, I could think of another fun way To spend an hour
1: What, jacking off?
0: (laughs) Well, I guess I'd have to do it, like, 19 times (laughs) (laughs) to fill the hour (laughs) that would be a personal best ben yeah as we throw it to rob let's uh let's find out what his personal best is
1: the greatest discovery is a maximum fun podcast hosted by adam pranica and ben harrison and it's produced and edited by me rob schulte our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. Head on over to MaximumFun.org
0: slash donate to support the ongoing production of our show. And a nice free way to support the show is to head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR. Adam is at
1: CutForTime. And I'm at Rob K. All right, thanks. We'll see you next time.